friends, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton, founder, chief evangelist for Small Business Matters. I am your host for today's podcast, and I'm joined by my co-host, Taylor Fulton, the director of marketing for Small Business Matters. Taylor, good evening. Good evening. Good to be back. It it is good to be back. I was gone on my uh, sabbatical for three and a half weeks. I've been back now for, well, just about uh, two weeks. And I feel like there's a part of me that's still in Portugal and Spain and part of me right here in, you know, Sandy Springs. But, you know, it's good to be back, but boy, hard, sometimes hard to get back to work after being gone like that. Oh, I bet. I bet. That's why we're actually talking this evening is because I know a lot of our listeners and, and friends and family are very tuned into your sabbaticals and, and interested in your adventures. And not only do I want to interview a bit on you know your trip and, and how Portugal and Spain were, but I really just want to learn more about your stance on sabbaticals, taking time away from work and, and how that affects small business owners and executives today. Um, so with that, let's just kind of start broadly. Uh, you've been doing a sabbatical now for how many years? Uh, I think this was the 10th year. 10th year. And, and it's ranged from international trips to uh, staying around Georgia, to going down to Florida, to traveling all over. So tell us, our listeners, a little bit about the trip you just got back from uh, and why you chose to do this specific trip at this time. I'll give a little bit of background because you brought it up about the sabbatical itself. You know, like I think a lot of business owners and operators, you know, historically, I took very little time off and, you know, a day or two here, you know, a week here to the beach. And, you know, my typical week vacation was, you know, the first couple of days, you know, kind of business detox, you know, separating myself from whatever I was doing before going on vacation and then enjoying two or three days of vacation, and then the last two or three days worrying about what I was going to face when I got back <laughs> and kind of preparing myself for that. And so that was a, that was a typical seven-day vacation for me. Not that they weren't enjoyable. We had some you know, great family vacations as you all were growing up, but they just never seemed to quite be what, what I would have wanted. And I remember hearing about, you know, talk, people talk about taking sabbaticals particularly in the in the academic uh, world, you know, here people working for universities and you know, after so much time, they could take a, a year off. And I always remember thinking, man, would that be great to take like a month, a month off would be amazing. And and finally, 10 years ago, I got that crazy notion that uh, I'll do it. I'll take a month off. And I remember people did think I was crazy. You, I think you all as a family thought I was crazy. My clients, my colleagues thought of crazy. You know, how can you take a month off? What impact will this have on your business? And yet for years, even before that, I would encourage my clients to try to separate themselves from the business as much as possible, when possible. So I felt to some degree I needed to set an example, right? You know, you know if, if I'm going to expect somebody else to do it, you know, I should I should go first. So that led to that first sabbatical and taking a month off, and it was fantastic. You know, taking that month off and and just being able to separate myself for the business. So that's kind of how it it all got started. 
it was either the second or third year uh, that I decided to do my first El Camino Santiago uh, trip. And for our listeners who aren't familiar, the El Camino Santiago is a it's a what's referred to as a pilgrimage of sort. The primary route starts in uh, the the French border between French and Spain and goes from the, that little town in, in France over the Pyrenees Mountains and then directly west to the city of uh, Santiago de Compostelo, which is rumored, you know, believed to be where St. James, one of the apostles, had traveled several times and then ultimately was buried in Santiago. And that's what led to this this pilgrimage that started, you know, a couple thousand years ago and has continued through through this year. And so flash forward to today, um, several hundred thousand people a year make this this walk, this pilgrimage. The primary, again, walk is, is from France into Spain and then into Santiago. And I did that walk two different times. And some of our listeners may be familiar. There's a movie that was made about the El Camino called The Way with Martin Sheen. His son uh, dies on the very first day of the El Camino. And then Martin Sheen goes over and ends up walking uh, the entire 500 miles. There have been numerous books written about the El Caminos. I had heard about it. I had a good friend, Scott Pate, who had had walked it. And the more I heard about it, the more I talked to Scott, I thought, I got to do that. It's just, it's it, it became a bucket list item. So I did the, the first time, I did it by myself, did the, the 500 miles, and it was terrific, great experience. Several years later, my youngest son, your brother, Carter, uh, was gra- getting ready to graduate from college and asked if, if he could do that as a end-of-the-year college trip. And I thought, what better way to spend a month with either one of my sons than walking the El Camino? So Carter and I went back and we walked the El Camino together, that same route. It's called the Camino Frances. And so we walked the same route, 500 miles. And then I had heard about the second most popular route is called the Camino Portuguese. It starts in Lisbon, Portugal, and then goes directly north all the way through Portugal into Spain and once again into Santiago. And I'd heard about it, read about it, and decided if I ever did the El Camino again, I would do that Portuguese route. And so I had planned to do it a year ago, 2020, and we all know what happened in 2020. And fortunately, I had not bought an airline ticket or had not gotten that far along, but I, I was planning to do it a year ago. That changed, of course. And then I decided if, if possible, I would do it this year. And, and I was lucky enough that I was able to carve out the time this year and do that trip this year. So the the Camino Portuguese is uh, 400 miles, so it's slightly shorter route than the El Camino Frances. Again, goes through Portugal into Spain. About two thirds of it, I was in Portugal. About a third of it, I was I was in Spain. A little different experience. Uh, one going through Portugal instead of Spain. The terrain was not quite as varied as what I was used to in Spain in terms of going from mountains to mesa, back to mountains and hills. A little more, even though there certainly were some some good ups and downs this time, but not quite as much as what I'd experienced before. Love the the people of Portugal were great. Couldn't have been nicer. The food was terrific. Portugal is known for its wine and wineries and grapes. And I, I had no trouble experiencing that uh, along the way. 
at night, you know, I'd have a glass of wine with dinner and it would cost me all of a dollar fifty for a glass of wine, which I'm still getting used to now back here in the States. So it's a great trip. Taylor, about 50% of the walk is on a trail. And just picture a trail on average, maybe 10 feet wide, going through uh, either a, a forest, a green area, farmland, all sorts of different things. But about 50% of the walk is on trail. And then the remainder is either on back country roads with very little traffic, or on occasion, we're on a busier road where we're walking on the side. And that's probably the most dangerous part of the trip is, you know, walking along a highway with trucks and cars, you know, passing by. But luckily, not too much of the walk is, is, that, is that case. Most of it, again, is either on trail or on a back country, country mm-hmm. road. Um, this time, I, I rode a bike for 100 miles. And so of the 400, 100 was on bike for three days. And then I walk the remain. I walk the remainder, uh, the remaining almost 300 miles uh, over the period of about 18 days, averaging about 15 miles a day. Wow, I'm exhausted just listening to you. <laughs> so I think you've you've well described what the Camino is, uh, what it looks like, your journey. But what I'm curious about is the why. So you have all these different options for a sabbatical and you choose to fly across the world and and do this month long hike. Uh, Why do you do it? And and what value does it bring to you? Not only personally, but professionally. Sure. So three things come to mind in terms of purpose around walking the El Camino. And this is true with the sabbatical in general is getting away like that just gives me an opportunity to do something I don't get to do as much as I'd like the other, the other 11 months of the year. And that is just think and, and get away and be able to think at a level that, that most of us are not able to do and aren't in our normal lives you know, at a high level, it, you know, very introspective, thinking about my life, thinking about family, thinking about my work, my friends, my future, you know, what's gone on the past year, just giving, you know, deep thought, you know, to, to what's going on in my life. And, you know, a lot of my time is just, my mind gets lost. It's interesting that I'll be walking and all of a sudden I will have gone a mile or so and not even, I couldn't even tell you, you know, what I passed because my mind gets so deep into into thought. And so it's it's an opportunity to do that. That's one. The second is I have found it's just a it's a great way to see a country, whether it's Spain, it's Portugal, it could be the US. You know, so many people every year, you know, travel the Appalachian Trail and, and what a great way to see this our country. But in this case, you know, I got to see Portugal in a way that many people never get to see staying in, in private hostels and small inns, seeing not only the big cities, you know, I got to see Lisbon, I got to see Porto, but also getting to see the small towns, the villages, getting to talk to people that I, you know, Portuguese and Spaniards that I, I would never get to talk other, otherwise. So just a great way to see a country. Uh, and then third is I, I am an, an adventurer. I love a good adventure. And whether that you know, a venture is taking a, you know, a two-day trip to Savannah or going to 
Portugal and Spain for 24 days. It's an adventure. I wake up every day having some sense of, okay, I'm, I'm in this town today and I want to end up here, you know, this afternoon. But beyond that, I don't know what's going to happen every single day. So every day is an adventure. I pack my backpack. I've got about a 20 pound backpack that I'm carrying. I'm in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and a baseball hat. I've got my sticks to help me, you know, with the walk. And I just, every morning about 6 a.m., I set about my way and just not knowing what's going to happen on that day. And, you know, I see things that I don't expect. I talk to people. Almost every day I got lost. You know, I missed a sign. I missed a turn. And then it's like, oh, crap, I don't know where I am. And I got to pull out my map. I got to ask for help. But every day is an adventure. And, and, and I enjoy that. I really do. Yeah, as someone who has obviously known you for a while, adventure is a, uh, a good way to describe you, uh, <laughs> sometimes for better or worse. In my life here, you know, the adventure is, is getting on 285, you know, and trying to avoid <laughs> getting one over or, you know, walking, you know, going for a walk here in the neighborhood and, and, and staying out of the way of, of cars or, or an adventure, you know, might be dealing with, you know, uh, Georgia Power or State of Georgia on my tax return. You know, th th those are adventures, but not the kind that you and I would, would I, I think, enjoy as much as this. Oh, absolutely. So you described the, the trip quite well, as I mentioned, and gave us a good picture of what to expect on a, a regular basis. But what were some of the, the Kodak moments? You know, you look back on this 10 years from now, what will you remember? A number of them. Uh, you know, I, I took a lot of pictures and I always have fun going back and looking at those pictures a month after, six months, 12 months. Probably the, um, the, the, the number one Kodak moment always when I've done the El Camino is when I get to the cathedral. There's a beautiful cathedral in Santiago that's world famous. And um, by the way, uh, I should have mentioned this, that the El Camino is the third most popular pilgrimage on the planet. The first is to Jerusalem, the second is Rome, and the third is, is Santiago. And so, you know, when I get into Santiago and I get to the cathedral, huge, beautiful cathedral, that's always a, a Kodak moment because it, it's it just it captures my my breath, it captures my attention. All of a sudden, you know, in this case, you know, 24 days of walking and riding, all flashes before me. You know, what did it take for me to get to this point to be right in front of this cathedral with Oftentimes, there's a big plaza out front of the cathedral, not unusual that there'll be hundreds, thousands of people gathered, like myself, who have just arrived in Santiago, and they've gotten to their destination. The cathedral is the ultimate destination. So that's, and I always take a picture. You know, whenever I get there, I always take a picture. Uh, the other one that comes to mind was on that day, that last day, about a third of the way, I had to climb to the top of a a hill, a mount, whatever the case. And for the first time, I could see the city of Santiago and I could see the cathedral. You know, and at this point, I'm probably eight to 10 miles away, but I was on a vista. And for the first time, I could see the cathedral. It's like, wow, this, I'm, this is it. I'm, I'm getting close. Um, there, there was another one when I, when I left Portugal, you cross a bridge to go from Portugal to Spain. And on the Portugal side is a very historic city of Valencia. 
And then you cross the bridge and you go into another historic city in Spain called Tua. And so I remember crossing the bridge um, from Portugal into Spain, imagining that there's going to be was going to be some grandiose building welcoming into Spain. There'd be a uh, a mariachi band. You know, the, the the governor would be there welcoming people. And instead, there's nothing. They're literally other than a sign that says "Welcome to Spain." It's like you know being in Georgia and going to Florida. You know, there's a "Welcome to Florida" sign. In this case, a "Welcome to Spain" sign. And then you just keep on walking. And I, I remember that was just for me that was unusual. Uh, something else that comes to mind is every single meal, lunch and dinner, not breakfast, every every meal in Portugal and France is accompanied by an order of French fries. No matter what you order for lunch or dinner, you're getting a plate of French fries. And that's just not, you know, the pilgrims. It's, I think, most people. And so now every time I see French fries, I think, you know, of every meal I had in, in Portugal or Spain, uh, another one, uh, a, a taxi cab, a Kodak moment, probably the most difficult day I had. This was first or second day that I walked after I dropped off my bicycle. And I looked on the map and it was a 21 mile day walk, which that's a lot. Again, the average is 15 and even 15 is tough for me. This day was 21 and, and, and it was fairly flat, but still a very long walk. I got towards the end of the walk and I had I had run out of water. Normally I have two bottles of water, you know, on me, on my, attached to my backpack, but I had drained all of my water and there was not a cafe in sight. And so I was, I got very dehydrated. Um, it was, it was maybe one of the hottest days of all the days. It was in the nineties. And as I got closer to my final destination, I was taking a break every half a mile and then it was a quarter of a mile and I think it got down about every hundred yards I was stopping because I was just gassed. I was I was done. And I got into the little town that I was supposed to go to, and I didn't know where the inn was. I was staying, well, I was staying in a hostel, private hostel, but I had no idea where it was. And uh, and I'm again, I'm just gasping for air. And a taxi passes me, and I wave down the taxi, and the taxi stops. And I said, you know, can you take me to it's like Casa something? And he looks at me and he points and one block down was a sign for the hostel. And he basically said in in his best, you know, as English as he could, that you're a block away and no, I'm not going to give you a ride. And I literally begged this taxi driver to to give me a ride because I could not. I was sitting on a bench and I could not go any further. And he refused to give me a ride. What he did instead was he drove down that block, parked in front of the hostel, got out of his cab and waved to me to keep walking. <laughs> Taylor, if I had had a pistol, I might have I might have had bad intentions with that taxi driver because literally he was just waving me on, just saying, come on, you can do it, you can do it. And sure enough, I, I got up and walked that last block to that to that hostel and then he just drove off. And I'm sure he remembers that day as much as I do. So that, that was, that was a, a Kodak moment. And probably the last one that comes to mind and not necessarily a positive one, but one I will remember is that everyone, everywhere in Portugal and France, they were all wearing masks. 
And so it was as much as I was escaping, you know, from the U.S. and from Atlanta, I could not get away from COVID and the idea that, you know, we're still in the middle of a terrible pandemic. And so everywhere I went, you know, if I was in a city, I had to put on my mask. If I went into a restaurant, I had to put on my mask, clearly. But everywhere, everybody was was wearing their masks. So those were just a couple of things that come to mind. Oh, those are great stories. Uh, a couple of follow-ups on that. One, I just want to mention that I think your taxi driver friend is a lot like an executive coach. Yeah. Pushes you along unwillingly sometimes. <laughs> and secondly, on your, your French fries note, I'm curious, uh, the French fries that are served uh, in Spain and Portugal, how do those compare to the ones we have in the United States? They're very good. They're not cooked as much as a lot of times we find our fries here. They're fresher. I think in some cases they're handmade. Um, but And they just, I don't know, they just seem better, seem fresher. And, and what is the most, I guess, unique meal that was served with French fries, if you can remember? Well, again, every meal. I mean, no matter what I was having, whether I was having pork or chicken or, of course, a, you know, a hamburger you know, one time I, I got served in a in a hostel. They do a what's called a pilgrim meal, and it's part of what you pay to stay there. So if I, you know, I'm paying twenty dollars to stay there. Ten euros is going towards this dinner, and there's no menu. They just bring you food, and oftentimes it's it's an, an amazing meal. But in this case, it was it was a seafood kind of goulash that was not quite what I would normally order. But sure enough, half the plate was filled with French fries. Probably probably thankfully, was was filled with French fries. Yeah. As someone who doesn't eat seafood like yourself, I'm sure there was more French fries taken in than, uh, than the goulash. Absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned when you were uh, describing the, the why a bit, you know, some of the, the thinking you do, some of the uh, lessons that you learn. I'm, I'm curious if you don't mind sharing with our listeners some of the ones, whether it's from this trip or others, that uh, have really stuck with you even post your sabbatical? That's a good, that's a good question. I think, you know, one that comes to mind and, and I remember, you know, the very first El Camino I did the Frances, the first day, it's an unusual route. Cause again, you, you start your day in, in France in a border town, little village, and then you immediately start to climb up and over the Pyrenees mountains. And I didn't know much about the Pyrenees Mountains before I got over there, but pretty steep. And that first day is about an 18-mile day. And I'd say 15 of the 18 miles is either going straight up or going down. And it was the hardest athletic feat I've ever done is going up and over that, that, that mountain that day. And there were a couple of times I was ready to go back. I was like, you know, this is not what I bought into. This is not why I came to Spain. And people actually die, a couple people a year die on that first day trying to get over the mountain. And in fact, the movie The Way is about a son who dies on the first day of the El Camino. So there is some hazard to it. But what I, what I was reminded of then, and I've been reminded of a number of times, is, is resilience. Is that I think each of us, you and I, and all of our listeners, we all have a have a gear. Think of it as a gear that we don't use normally. We don't have to, but if we had to, that that gear is there. If if we if we need to tap into it, 
I think we all have it. And, and that's something I think we found with COVID is, you know, who would have guessed that we would go through what we've gone through the last 15 months and, and be where we are today. So we've all had to demonstrate a high level of resilience. And that's something I find, you know, each time I've done the El Caminos, if there have been times I've, I've wanted to quit. There have been times I thought, this is, this is stupid. You know, why am I doing this? But then I just keep walking. And sometimes I find, you know, in work, when I've been in a, in a tough spot, we all find ourselves in difficult situations. I'll just say to myself, keep walking, just keep walking. And I think that's a good mantra. It is for me. And I think maybe for others, it's just the idea that, we're, you know, we're going to make it. This, this too will, will pass. We're all far more resilient. Than, than we think. And, and Taylor, I think that's true of our businesses as well. Is this something I think a lot of business owners have found is that many of our businesses are far more resilient than we give them credit for. Because our businesses have taken not one hit, not two hits, but multiple hits in different ways. And many of us are still here to talk about it. So one kind of life learning for me has been this idea of resilience and being able to tap tap into that. A second is that is that we live here in the United States, we live in Georgia, we live in Sandy Springs, and it's it's easy to think that the universe, the center of the universe is right here in Sandy Springs, right? It's just easy to think that. And yet I'm reminded every time I'm able to take a trip like this is that you know the people in Portugal, the people in Spain, they have no idea what's going on in, in, in Sandy Springs, nor do they care or Georgia, or even the United States. It's easy, I think, for us as Americans to think that this planet revolves around this country. And, and yet I'm reminded every time that I'm able to travel outside of the country, that's not the case, that, that people are able to live their own lives, live happy lives without any inter interference from us in any shape or form. And I remember the first time when I went over, you know, I kind of thought that you know, people were, would look up you know, to me as an American and ask me questions about, you know, what is it like to be uh, a U.S. citizen? What is it like to be an American? And, and disappointingly, maybe that never happened. I mean, just that's not the way they think. And so that's kind of that's kind of a life lesson for me is, is that, you know, there are lots of people who really don't care much about what's going on in this country. But on the flip side, in, in a very positive way, what I'm reminded of every time I've done this trip is that there are just amazing people all around this planet. Uh, I meet some of the most interesting people, you know, when I've done the El Camino, some of the nicest people, some of the most giving people, some, again, some of the most interesting people uh, from all over the world. And that's one of the things that brings me back to the El Camino is just the opportunity. It's like a kind of a mini United Nations of sort of people coming together all with a similar purpose, and that's to go from point A to point B and, and to enjoy it as much as possible. And so I'm just reminded that, you know, we, we, we live on this planet, and in general, people are good. Just people are good. And then, Taylor, the last thing that comes to mind, and, and you kind of hit on this uh, in the beginning, for me, and I think for people in general, particularly small business owners, the importance of getting away, because I'm able to kind of clear my head you know, over that period of time. And what I tell business owners is, I, th I think it's a, it's a really good idea for two reasons. One, in a selfish way, you know, to be able to get away for a month, which, you know, far too few people are able to do. But even more importantly, and this is for our, many of our business owners that are listening, 
It's a great stress test for your business to be able to survive without you for a month. Because if they can survive, your employees, your team, if they can survive without you for a month, then they are the business is not nearly as dependent upon you as the owner, as the leader, as, as it should be. And that adds value to the business because one day uh, that business owner is going to want to sell their business. And one of the biggest questions that a buyer has is, you know, can this business operate without Tim? How dependent is this business on Tim to be successful? Well, if I'm able to demonstrate that, hey, I can, I can go away for a month and this business can continue to operate without me, I've just added significant value to the business without adding a dollar of sales or a dollar of profit. I've added significant value to this business. And that's why I think it's really important for a small business owner to be able to, to get away for a significant period of time. Wow. Those were some, some really good takeaways. Uh, and again, stories. I think more than anything, this podcast has, has really been a, a great collection of stories on your trip. So uh, I know all of us appreciate you sharing those. Um, before we wrap up, I am going to put you on the hot seat for a few rapid fire questions because I never get this oh, yeah. opportunity. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to start with uh, your favorite meal during your last trip. Ooh, favorite meal, favorite meal. Mm. I had uh, a city called Tomar, a pretty good sized city in, in Portugal. One of the first cities I got to after Lisbon went out to dinner and I had like a spicy steak, chopped steak dinner. And it had seasoning that I'd not had before. And it was delicious. It was delicious. And what was even better was the owner of the restaurant sat down and we must have talked for a half hour after my dinner. And again, just kind of interesting insights into you know business in Portugal. But the, the dinner was great. And the company was great. And that combination, I, I definitely remember. Excellent. Not quite a, a rapid fire answer, but we'll we'll give you a pass yeah, on that pepper one. Pepper steak. Pepper steak. Pepper steak. <laughs> what is uh, one item, piece of equipment uh, that you would bring with you that you could not go without? Most important item in your backpack. Well, the, the sticks are definitely one. The science suggests that having the walking sticks improves your walking efficiency by about 15%. And when you're thinking, you know, that you're walking 15 miles a day or 400 miles over a period of a couple of weeks, 15% is a lot. So those walking sticks I found particularly helpful and, and even more so, you know, I've got two bad knees. So whether I'm climbing hills or even worse, going down hills, those walking sticks are, are really important. And then the second thing Taylor comes to mind is I've been really lucky. The first two times that I walked, I never never got a blister, no blisters. And ninety percent of people get blisters, you know, doing these types of walks. This time I did get some blisters, but thankfully I had a first aid kit that I had never used before. But I had everything I needed in that first aid kit to uh, take care of my blisters. And so a first aid kit got to have. Very nice. All right, next one. While you're doing these long walks, what band, artist, or podcast will you listen to the most? I'll, I'll take a step back because this may be of interest to our listeners. When I first did the El Camino six years ago, you didn't you saw very few people using their phone or listening to anything on their phone. In fact, 
you were almost looked down on, you know, if, if you were listening to something on your phone. Flash forward to today, almost everyone is listening to something mm-hmm. on their phone, um, whether it's a podcast or music. So it's interesting how things have changed in a relatively short period of time. I would start off each day for the first hour or so not listening to anything because I just wanted to get kind of inside my head for that first hour or so. But uh, a couple of podcasts I would listen to. Freakonomics, you know, if, if I had a good Freakonomics podcast, behavioral economics, you know, I, I couldn't get too far away from the news. So I would listen to PTI, pardon the interruption, you know, from ESPN uh, or uh, the Rachel Maddow show from MSNBC, just to kind of stay in touch with the, the news a little bit. And in terms of music, I, I put together a variety, several different playlists, but generally it was music that kind of had a soul to it, music that got me thinking. Um, and I can't, you know, something maybe from James Taylor or something uh, from, you know, just something that just kind of got me to help me think at a different level, that mm-hmm. type of music. Variety. I like it. Yeah. And your next sabbatical, do you have any plans of where you're going next? Uh, I'm hoping that, because you know, I love being able to tra- travel with my wife, with Remy, uh, on these sabbaticals. So I'm hoping that she and I next year will be able to either go to the UK and see Great Britain, say, see Ireland, say, see Scotland, hopefully all in one trip. Uh, and then I also really want to get to Australia and New Zealand. And that I think would take a good month to see both of those. So mm. either one of those would be great. And my understanding is there are some interesting walks uh, in both Australia and in the United Kingdom. Of course. So, yeah, so maybe be able to do a little bit of both. All right. Uh, and we'll get you out of here on this. So your favorite question, who plays Tim in the El Camino journey about Tim? Uh, well, for years, Taylor, and you may know this, I've been compared to David Letterman <laughs> for whatever reason. For whatever, and it may be There's just, a slight resemblance. I'll give you that. I, I'm a big fan of David Letterman. And so I've been not unusual when I'm doing a, you know, a, a training program or speaking that someone will say, you know, you, you remind me of David Letterman. And I take that as a huge compliment. So it, it would be David Letterman. He would play me in the movie about walking the El Camino. That's a pretty good answer. I'm impressed. You've, you've done some thinking around this, clearly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for so much for sharing the experience. I know uh, I've enjoyed catching up with you since you've been back. Uh, and always, always good to share uh, your stories with our listeners. Now that you are back, I'm sure there's a lot going on with Small Business Matters that you want to update our listeners on. Sure, there, there is a lot going on. We're kicking off the the next Small Business Matters boot camp. We've got already a number of people registered. We've got a few spaces left. That program kicks off on August 26th. One full day a month, all the way through uh, November. We have the Small Business Matters newsletter. It gets published monthly. Any of our listeners, if you're not already subscribed to the newsletter, you can do that at smallbusinessmattersonline.com. Taylor, we've got two Small Business Matters uh, mastermind groups. Each of them meet one hour a week virtually on Mondays. I, I love those meetings. Love the members in those groups. Great experience. So the mastermind groups. And then, of course, our Small Business Matters podcast. I would invite our listeners 
if you're to to rate our podcast review and if you're not already subscribed, uh, I would encourage you to do so. So, uh, Taylor, I've enjoyed this time as well. I can't believe how quick our time has gone. I hope our, our listeners will enjoy, enjoy this as well. And I can't wait another 11 months to, to get back on a sabbatical. Listeners, thank you for being with us here for the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. May each of you continue to pursue all that matters. <laughs>